Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. It's uh, great to be with everyone again. For those who don't know me, my name is Reinhardt Rankies. Um, I'm the pastor at Red Door, and uh, what a lovely, warm, and hot morning it is to be with one another. And so um, I took my cue from last week. Last week when I preached, when um, Selin, Selin and Christy was trying and struggling to get Hazel Grace to sleep, they just brought her into the service and she fell asleep like that. And so I was happy, but I was deeply convicted and offended. And so in the heat, we'll, we'll make sure that we don't spend too long time in here. But praise God for this morning. Praise God for this text. If you're here for the first time this morning, we're in this series in Acts, the book of Acts, where we're almost in the second volume of the book, where we see that we are still saint and the message of the gospel continues. A bit of a geography lesson before we get started. So this message originated in the city of Jerusalem where the Jews live and rule and their religious systems are in control. And this is where Jesus was crucified and resurrected. And after that, we see the message spread to the surrounding Jewish area called Judea. And after that, even to the area next to that, which is kind of a mixed race Jewish area called Samaria. And today we're seeing it going even further north than that to a city called Antioch. It's a couple of hundred kilometers north of Jerusalem. And now that we've got our geography lesson, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to get into today's text. Father God, we thank you that you are the God of change and the God that stays the same. You are the one that's in the business of changing hearts, yet you always stay the same. You always remain faithful. And for that, we love you and we praise you and we Pray that as we look into something as steadfast as your word that has lasted through the generation, that something as fickle as our hearts would be captivated and changed by that beauty. We pray this for your glory and our benefit. Amen. We've spoken about this before, the saying that says, what you win them with is what you win them to. And what that saying refers to is that the process is equally important as the destination that you get to. And we see this in everyday life. We try to do things and organize our lives through positive and negative reinforcement. Um, We're almost there in the new year where we're going to do it again, uh, whether it's dieting or exercising. And so positive reinforcement is we reward ourselves when we do something right, and negative reinforcement is we punish or we take something away when we do something wrong, and we try to modify our behaviors through that system. And here's the thing, that system is effective. It becomes almost like a law for yourself. The problem with that law is, and we see this every year, time and time and again, is that that change is never lasting, The change is short-lived. We modify our behaviors, but we're not quite able to sustainably change the way that we act and live. And unfortunately, people in religion, and specifically Christianity, do this as well. We form a law for ourselves, what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. And we try to have the process change the way that we live. And yet what we've discovered through the book of Acts is that the only thing that can actually bring lasting change in our lives is not the law, 
Not positive and negative reinforcement, but actually seeing better the grace of God. Allowing the grace of God to change our hearts. And today is almost like a perfect example thereof. And a, and a good way to examine our own hearts. What we're going to see today is what lives changed by grace or hearts changed by grace look like. We're going to look at three specific things, how the grace changes our hearts. And today might be a bit of an introspection, almost like a reflecting mirror. We want to see, is this the life that I'm living as well? Am I allowing the grace of God to change my life or am I simply trying to modify my behavior through do's and don'ts? But before we get into the text, a little bit of context of where we are. Last week we saw that this message of the gospel is breaking forth from the Jewish system to all the Gentile nations around us. We saw that God shows no partiality, meaning that God doesn't play favorites. He's reaching out to all nations, and even the text that we read today that Peter said in verse 17, if this is what God is doing, who can stand in his way? God will reach the nations. He will grant them repentance that leads to life. God will save all people who call on his name. And this is what we're seeing today. This message of grace of Jesus saving people undeservedly that leads to repentance is being carried far beyond the borders of Jerusalem and Judea into the Gentile world, specifically the city of Antioch. Now, it's important to understand what big role this city played in the ancient world. A bit of a history lesson. We've done geography, now we're doing history. This feels like the Mamalodi tutoring. But um, the city of Antioch was initially founded by a guy called Seleucus of Nicator. He was one of Alexander the Great's generals. And thus, when he built the city, this city was founded and built on Greek foundations. It had a strong Greek or Hellenistic influence. Hence, the people that lived there spoke Greek and adopted the Greek culture. But something was very unique about this city that we saw is that this guy, Seleucus, made an interesting move. And this was very abnormal for that time. He offered equal citizenship to anyone that would come and live there. Meaning that irrespective of your culture or your race, you would have the same rights as the native Greeks if you made that city your home, which was huge in that day. Because that, in, in the ancient day, it was all about the systems and race and culture, which meant that this law attracted a variety of people. This is a very unique city. We see people from the Orient, people from India, people from Persia, people from China settled there. We saw that Jews settled there. We saw that it had a strong contingent of Greeks that settled there. We even saw later Latins or people from Rome that also settled in the city of Antioch. And so it's this amazing cosmopolitan city. It was the third largest city in the ancient world with more than 500,000 people. Think about that. 500,000 people without running water or electricity living in that city. And an amazing city, and definitely massively different from the context of Jerusalem. Can you imagine Jerusalem, where you mainly had Jewish people live under a religious system, and this cosmopolitan city of Antioch, almost like New York. You know, it's this New York city versus a small town place on the rural area where everyone just spoke the same language and was the same race and culture. 
And this city was the perfect setting where we can see how this gospel, which we call the grace of God, changes people. It pushes people and pushes people beyond their normal boundaries and it changes them. And so the three things that I want us to see today, how and what a life should like, look like when it's changed, not by law, but by the grace of the gospel. And this is the three ways that it changes us. It creates cross-cultural ministry. It creates intentional discipleship. And it creates generous giving. And so let's dive in into that first point and read with me verses 18 to 21 to see how a life changed by grace causes us to live in a cross-cultural way. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And what we've seen before is now happening again. Because of the persecution that happened against Christians in Jerusalem, we saw that many Jews fled from Jerusalem, the Christian Jews. And wherever they went, they took the message of the gospel with them. Yet, we see two very distinct groups arise in this first passage. The first group, or the one group of Jews, as they fled and as they shared the gospel, they only did so with other Jews. And we're not told why they did this in this passage. We can only speculate. We don't know. It must have been or it could have been because they haven't yet heard the story of Peter and how this message of the gospel was actually available to everyone, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles as well. We don't know if it was simply because it was easier to share with other Jews that could also speak their first language of Hebrew and not Greek. We don't know if it was uh, because of spiritual or cultural pride that existed in this group viewing other nations at second tier. We don't know why, it, why they didn't choose to share it with other people, but what we do know is what happened to the second group who shared it with not only Jews but also non-Jews. The other group that shared this message with the Hellenists. Hellenists are the people who converse and speak and Greek and have taken on the Greek culture. In other words, this group of Jews that fled Jerusalem decided to do cross-cultural ministry. And as we know, this is not the easier option. <laughs> Trying to build relationships with people who don't speak the same first language as you, people who don't have the same background or culture or even might look down on your cultural heritage. Yet, we, verse 21 is really important as we see them reaching across the aisle. We see that the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Family, I believe that God blesses faithfulness. I do believe that God uses situations where it actually doesn't make sense to work to display his power and majesty. These Jews decided to step outside of their comfort zones to engage people outside of their normal circles for his glory. Which doesn't actually make sense to the rest of the world that these relationships would work or even that this movement would grow, yet God uses that to show not what men can do but what he can do through men. 
And so because of their faithfulness, because of these Jews that decided to step across their own cultural boundaries, we see that a, later on in Acts, we'll see that this church in Antioch was established. This thriving, multicultural, multi-ethnic church, probably the first of its kind. And it was later in this church that God used this church as the base to send out Paul on all his missionary journeys. This church was supporting other churches, giving away generously. This church was sending out missionaries. So what simply started as disciples being faithful to sharing the gospel message, not just to their own people, but to other people, God used to snowball it into a movement to reach all the nations of the world. And so what we need to see here today as Red Door Church is this is not the comfortable option, nor is this the easy one. Yet, as we experience grace that changes hearts, this is the one to which we are compelled to move into. Many of us here today, we don't share the same background or heritage or the same first language, as you guys can clearly hear, which means that building a community that deeply cares for one another and that lives on mission together and that loves the city is going to be difficult. This isn't going to be easy, so don't be surprised when those challenges arise. However, even though we we believe that this is not the easy option, we do believe that this is worth it. We do believe that because we choose to not rely on ourselves and our own relational circles and know how that the Lord will bless this and that his hand will be on this type of community because then the grace of God will shine particularly well. If we were a group of people that naturally were attracted to one another, the witness to the world wouldn't be as glorious. The fact that we're actually not supposed to mix and mingle is testament to the fact that something bigger is going on. We're not just trying to force ourselves to get along, No, we're allowing the grace of God to change us to actually not just get along, but love one another and live in community and family with one another. This type of cross-cultural ministry shouldn't only exist amongst one another. This isn't the only place where we as Christians should practice it. No, it's actually outside as well. People who are changed by grace should initiate conversations and relationships with people that we normally wouldn't associate with. We love and care for people whether we think they deserve it or not. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did with us. Jesus is the original cross-cultural minister, missionary. There's no greater divide, no greater cultural divide than an occupant of heaven reaching out to mere mortals in the dust of the earth. What's great about Jesus' life, he not only hanged out, when he didn't just come to earth, he actually hanged out with sinners. He went into their homes, he ate with them, he drank with them, he shared his life with them. No, he gave his life for them. No greater outreach has ever existed than that. This is what he did for us, and so that's why it is easy for us to do it with one another. Because this is what people changed by grace look like. People who understand what a great sacrifice was made for us. The small sacrifices that we make with differences and challenges and arguments that arise are comparatively small. And secondly, 
we see that firstly, a, a life changed by grace is one that lives in a cross-cultural minister, ministry type of way. And secondly, a life changed by grace will lead to a life of intentional discipleship. Read with me verses 22 to 26. Now, as this church grew, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful in the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And so as this community grew in Antioch, people obviously started talking about this, this weird multi-ethnic, multicultural community that's all centered around Christ. And the stories were being shared across one another, so much so that the church in Jerusalem heard about this. And they sent their best leader, Barnabas, not to go give oversight, but actually to go and help, to go help teach, to go help shepherd, to go help pastor this newfound community. And you guys might have remembered, we already read about Barnabas earlier in Acts. His name meant son of encouragement because he was so encouraging to the apostles in the way that he shared and lived his life. Yet when Barnabas arrived in Antioch, he was the one that was being encouraged. The moment he came to Antioch, he saw clearly the grace of God at work in people's lives. And so all that Barnabas did was to encourage them and say, stay the course. Keep going. Don't try some new strategy or tactic. What you're doing is holding on to the gospel and loving one another and loving the world. This is what it's about. Don't drift away from this. Keep your eyes on Christ. We read in verse 24 that Barnabas himself was being faithful and full of the Holy Spirit. And even more people were added to the Lord. And what's interesting, we don't see that Barnabas just remained there and started growing the church and growing the church. Rather, he first left the city. He went to another place, to Tarsus, to go look for this guy named Saul that had a miraculous conversion. He was a young leader in the church that had a sketchy background. He decided to go fetch Saul when he saw the grace that was happening at Antioch and say, come with me. Come help teach. Come help learn. Come see what God is doing in the Antioch. Friends, Barnabas was being really intentional with the way that he was engaging the community. The moment that he saw what was happening there, he knew that he also needed to invite other leaders in to come and learn and experience this. And so Barnabas was bringing in Saul so that this could be a great place for Saul to see how one should teach and how one should be taught. And so Saul was thrown into the deep end. He was being discipled definitely by Barnabas, but we even read that he was teaching himself. And family, this is what discipleship is all about. It is learning on the job. Nowhere in the Bible do we first see that you first get qualified and you learn enough and then you are able to teach others as well. The moment you get saved, that little which you know about Christ and what you've experienced with Christ, you start sharing with other people. When you become a disciple, you immediately start being discipled, but you also start discipling others. Somewhere in our culture, we believe that if we were to disciple someone else, I need all the right answers. What if they ask me something that I don't know? 
God forbid that I don't know the answer and I fail the test. This is not what discipleship is. Discipleship is not writing an exam, having the correct answer. Discipleship is sharing our lives together so that we can point one another back to the gospel, irrespective of where we are on our Christian journey and maturity of faith. It's in sharing lives with one another that we learn how to believe and apply the truth of the gospel in our everyday lives. The world says that you need to have your house in order before you invite someone in. It needs to be nice and tidy and You've swept and you've thrown all the dirty clothes just in the closet and you close it. Just don't open that closet. The gospel says invite people into the messiness of your life because it's in those spaces where the gospel shines. And it requires intentionality, the same that Barnabas had. Barnabas was really intentional with who he was bringing in and how he was sharing his life in that community. I don't know what you're thinking right now. If you're anything like me, you might be thinking, where is he going with this? I don't have the extra time or energy or willpower or space to now also add intentional discipleship to my list of Christian do's and don'ts. We already have groups that I've got to attend. I've got to come here on Sunday and I've got to serve and I've got missional communities and DNA groups and now you're telling me that I've got to be intentional with my discipleship as well. Well, family, that's the beauty about Christianity. It's actually not creating extra spaces to, to disciple people. It's just inviting people into your already existing spaces. For example, if you're going to chop down a tree, the cheapest labor is <laughs> to invite people to come do it with you. To invite those who you're spending time with. Why? Because it's in those moments where we've got to navigate life. We are building relationship, but trust me, if you're chopping down a tree, it's not easy. There's going to be some friction and things are going to happen. And in that moment, you're modeling to other people what it means to believe the gospel in that moment. And you're not even going to get it right. You're not going to model perfectly. But then you're able to say, hey, I probably shouldn't have done it that way. But here's the grace of the gospel and we can forgive and we can continue. It's actually allowing people to see how broken your life is so that they can see the beauty of the gospel. It is inviting people into your space, allowing them to see you get frustrated and having to deal with life and having to navigate chopping down a tree. So invite people into your home and around your dinner table. Share life with the people around you. Yes, in the formal spaces of DNA and missional communities, but especially in the informal spaces. Allow people to come and help you bath your kids and put them to bed. Invite people to go and run and jog with you. Invite people to help you <laughs> do the things around your yard that you need help with and navigate the troubles of everyday life. If you're an engineer, share with younger engineers how to cope with work and stress and how to live out your faith. If your fathers need other fathers to disciple one another, mothers need other mothers to have discipleship amongst one another, the church will never be able to create all the necessary groups for this discipleship to happen, and nor shouldn't it. This happens as we look not only to how we can be taught, but rather how we can share life intentionally with those around us. I don't know if you noticed at the end of these verses, 
quite significantly. It was here that the disciples were first called Christians. Discipleship wasn't a new idea back then. Uh, Disciple simply means to be a student. And so you had many students of different people or of different teachings. And so discipleship as an idea was very common in those days. But what is interesting about this is why these group of disciples got a particular name. And what we can deduce and glean from the passage is that as they started coming in contact with these people that were following Jesus, these people that were talking about Christ, as they were sharing their life with one another, it wasn't just about sharing community. It wasn't just a social club. No, they were constantly talking about Christ. They were constantly referring back to Christ. And so it was easy in the city to start recognizing them. Oh, those are the cats that always chat about this Jesus character. Those are the people who constantly mention Christ on their lips. They are the Christ followers. They are the Christians. Oh, if that would be true of us, of my household, of me, where in a natural way, not in an unnatural teaching way, you know, watching soccer and they score a goal, let me tell you about the goal of life. <laughs> no. But in a natural way, as we share lives with one another, that we're able to reflect on how Christ fits into it. To give thanks and to reflect and to share freely, you know, what it is that we believe in our faith. These days we are called Christians or we mark Christians when a census comes out. Or or that's our status on Facebook. Yes, I'm a Christian. But I wonder if that didn't exist, how many people would recognize by the way that we not just share life, but the things that we reflect on and that we're thankful for, we have the words of Christ on our lips constantly. Again, in a natural way, you're not that weird guy at the office, but actually in a way that it's just part of your conversation. It's part of what you share with people. Why? Because it's something that you really appreciate. Family of law can't do this. The moment we try and, and, and force ourselves to have to share, we're only going to share it in the formal spaces. But when we truly do believe the grace of God, when we truly are excited about Jesus, then naturally it will start popping up. And I'm saying this in a self-convicting manner as well, because I know that's not currently true of my speech. I've, I've almost unlearned that language for the sake of sparing other people's feelings. I think what we need to relearn is just allowing us to be ourselves. Allowing us to, in natural ways, share the gospel and to be excited about what God is doing in in our lives and to be quick to repent when we need to. A life changed by grace is an intentional one. One doting upon the beauty of Christ and therefore speaking and sharing it freely, naturally, constantly, and not just with the world, in discipleship relationships. And we see the result of that was growth in the church. Lastly, we see that we want to have cross-cultural ministry, intentional discipleship, but a life changed by grace leads to generous giving. Read with me verses 27 to 30. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. 
And so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it by the elders, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so when these prophets came and they foretold that there would be a famine, the disciples determined to send relief. How amazing is this? You know, talk is cheap. But, but when a situation arises where it's not just other people that are going to experience need, you're going to experience need as well to then in the face of that still be generous to the people around you, that cannot be taught. It's hearts that need to be captivated and to touch our hearts in order for us to actually be that generous, to not just look out for yourselves, but also for the people around you, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's encouraging, family, when... You give yourself, but it's also encouraging just to witness how other people give generously. And I've been in the privileged position to see this firsthand at Red Door. I've seen how people constantly give generously. If it hasn't been for the constant generous giving of people in this church, Red Door wouldn't exist. And not just that, we wouldn't be able to give support to campus outreach and help them with the good work that they're doing on campus. If people didn't give generously, we wouldn't be able to have residency programs raising up the next generation of church planters. If people didn't give generously, we weren't able to actually serve and love the city in specific spaces. And so how am I sure this morning that we're not just a social club trying to live differently and better? How am I convinced this morning that this is actually a community changed by grace? Well, I see people living and giving generously. I see lives changed by grace and I am immensely encouraged this morning. And I wanna, like Barnabas, keep encouraging all of you, keep going. Keep the eyes on Christ. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't try and drift in some new revelation or strategies thinking that we need something else for the church. What we're holding on to is actually changing hearts. And the fruit of that is the generous giving that I've experienced and keep on seeing here at church. But what struck me about this act of generosity in the church of Antioch was not just the fact that they gave and they gave generously, and they didn't give under compulsion. They all determined by themselves. But it's also to whom they gave. Remember, they gave to a church they've never met in a different context of a different culture and race. The gospel DNA that was passed on to them when people crossed the aisle and reached out to them has now so been formed so part of the church that it wasn't even a question for them whether they would be able or willing to support this other church and their network. It's a totally different way of viewing family. They reached back out to the mother church. Never did they say, well, you guys have to sort out for yourselves. We're the young ones. They were generous from the get-go. The DNA was already part there. It's always interesting when people decide, when will we as a church start being generous? Are we first want to go to a self-sustainable capacity and then we'll start giving? Well, what I've personally experienced, if this is not something that's part from the beginning, part of a church's DNA, you won't try, you're not going to try and develop it later. We need who we will be is what we already are doing right now. So family, may we continue to be a church that is generous in our giving. May we spend our money 
as a church that that would reflect the idea of lives changed by grace. And this is where we end. Maybe a good reflection point right now is to ask the question, how are you experiencing Christianity and church? There are dry seasons in every relationship. And you might be in a dry spell right now where it feels like you've got to just force yourself and go through the wilderness and continue this relationship. But that would only be a season. What's good for us to reflect on is rather to see what has the pattern been in your life the past year? What are the things getting you to share your life, to do cross-cultural ministry, to live intentionally in discipleship and to give generously? Is it simply because you're trying to be a different person and trying to live the Christian way or or does it spring from the well of having tasted the grace of God? My prayer this morning is that you wouldn't be convicted to try and try harder again, but rather that you would return to the foot of the cross and to see the grace that has been freely given to you so that you can experience that and from there do ministry. We've all been called to full-time ministry, but fortunately, by the Spirit and by the power of God, we've all been equipped for full-time ministry. Let's pray. Father God, we know that by our own strength, we'll never be able to modify or change our behaviors in a way that would be sustainable and that would have longevity. And so rather than trying to do that so hard, rather than trying to be a church that focuses the whole time on what we shouldn't and what we should do, Father, we pray that we would continually look to you and allow our lives to be changed. Father, we pray that this morning would be a time of reflection, that as we see the fruit of this church sharing their lives and sharing themselves with one another, that we would ask the question for ourselves, what is it that we want to be known for? What is it that we want people to call us? If we are wiped out from Pretoria, what would we be known for? And Father, first and foremost, we always want to be people that have Christ on our lips. We pray personally in our own households that we would be people that reflect daily on your goodness, share it first and foremost with ourselves, share it in prayer, and share it with the people around us. May your spirit indwell this community, and may it never be only about Red Door Church, but rather about the church of God in your kingdom. And we pray this in your name. Amen.